0: Big picture items for us are caring for cows at the next level. Um, I thought we were there, but we're not there yet. So, doing that, which means reducing cull rate, um, you know, of course, the better we care for them, the longer they'll last, but also the more that they'll produce. And that seems to be. What has always worked for us is to get a little bit more out of um, each animal or the facility in general. Um, It's always easier to uh, get things paid for with more money. So, uh, but also as you care for those animals better, they return, um, you know, to you at a faster rate.
1: A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. SMAX Tech. Get insights from inside your cows with SMAX Tech for higher herd health and profitability. R Yeast 40, Ruminal and Intestinal Double Modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the global food challenge. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. X Zealot, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia, its uncomplicated excellence. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Maximize profitability and herd health with early detection in animal health, reproduction, calving, and feeding. Only possible with the most advanced bolus technology from SMAXTECH, the health system that future-proofs your dairy operation. Visit us at our booth in the Exhibition Hall at the World Dairy Expo and get ready for big news. Hello, I'm Barry Bradford,
2: and this is the Dairy Podcast Show. Welcome to this episode where we're going to talk with Nathan Brerley. Nathan is the owner and operator of Brerley Farms Incorporated with his father, Larry, near Portland, Michigan. Uh, they operate a fourth generation dairy farm. Uh, this is the second generation on the current site, and they milk 500 cows there and operate uh, 750 acres of crops to support those uh, dairy cattle. Nathan has been the manager of this operation since he was 25 years old and uh, currently oversees 10 employees, and Nathan has six children with his wife, and they're involved in the operation as well, and, and several of them have some interest in the farm. So with that, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So if I understand right, you grew up on the farm that you're working on now, and um is that, was that sort of a dream you had as a kid all the way, you know, going back that you wanted to continue operating this farm?
0: Yeah, that's been a passion of mine uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, You know, through elementary school, I can remember days just dragging on, wishing I could be back to the farm. Um, It was always fun to see how fast I could get my clothes changed, my boots on, and, uh, I could literally see the school bus three quarters of a mile away still, and I would be running out the door already ready for work. So yeah, it's always been something I've wanted to do. What is it that you think
2: makes it so enjoyable for you? What is it about running a dairy farm that you think
0: drives you, motivates you? All of the just diversity that we have that we can attack on a daily basis and uh, I do like the routines, but I also like the spontaneity that the business is, and that you have challenges that will come that you have to uh, you have to address and figure out. And uh, you know, I like working with a small group of people to do that and putting people in the right spot to uh, to help me succeed. Um, I just, I like all the things about our size of operation. I
2: don't know you super well, but even the little bit we've interacted, I could guess that, you know, at the end of a week, being able to look back and see the things that, you know, you can point to that you've made a
0: difference in that week, you know, must be a really satisfying feeling. Yes. Yep. Sometimes, uh, you know, it, it gets so busy that you forget all of the successes of the week because it's just time for another one. And uh, another challenge. Yeah, I I really enjoy how much we can do in a week and at the pace that I want to do it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's really fun talking to somebody who, you know, has a passion for their work and enjoys it. Um, a lot of people do, not everybody. But of course, you know, working in agriculture comes with its challenges too. Everybody knows that. And both both from a positive and a negative standpoint the last decade in the dairy industry has been extremely volatile so people talk a lot about 2014 what a great year that was and then we had some other years like 2020 where milk prices crashed right lots of variability lots of challenges tell me about what that looked like on your operation specifically
0: yeah i've been you know part of the operation for almost 20 years and The day-to-day work hasn't been as much of a challenge as the economic stress that it can bring. Um, There was a time approximately five years ago, the days just kind of fly by and so do the years, but uh, I was like, what are we doing this for? You know, this is a, a passion of mine, but economically, why are we still doing this? Like, it's so much work and we're so dedicated, but yet we can barely make ends meet. And I put the farm for sale, um, not in a, you know, I didn't get a realtor or anything like that, but I asked the community, hey, is this operation something that would help your operation? And how can I still be in this, but at a different level or a different spot? And um, of course we have debt on the farm, and lender and uh so I have that commitment as well and there was no real good viable plan to switch course so we stayed as we are milking cows making the feed for the cows I just put my nose to the grindstone to do better than what we even were in any way that we could and working on those big numbers of expenses that we have for a dairy or opportunities um, was the easiest way to do it, and uh you know labor's a big one, feed is a big one, and of course, when we're making our own feed that's an area that's a big passion of mine, so I started attacking that one, of course, because I could see there'd be opportunities to to economically um, get better and um with labor, uh trimmed everything that we could, uh, worked a little bit harder, uh, saw my uh family a little bit less during that time and uh also was able to just come up with some some bigger and better ideas to be more efficient. And we've made it through and it's uh it's been a another growing step in our career uh, in that, you know, those troubled times. Well, kudos
2: to you. I, you know, I don't want to diminish any financial challenges that you may be dealing with now because input costs are very high and milk prices are just kind of okay right now for, for those input costs. But from my perspective, the few times I've been to your place over the last few years, it seems like you're in a much better place, like at least, um, mentally like it seems like you're you're you see a good future for the for the farm now and i kudos for that that's hard to make it through those times of just extreme stress it gets discouraging to have
0: that yeah. fire that i always had and to have that fire be doused with economic doubt and economic challenges but also it created a fire in me that uh is now really driving me to succeed and um you know it's it's been exciting and uh you know to adapt some things and technologies in different ways to make us that much better and uh yeah it's been fun fantastic
2: good for you so you you i think you kind of already started to answer this but maybe we can kind of go through them explicitly, whether you have a formal written list or not. Could you help us understand right now, if you had to list out maybe two or three or four goals that you have for the dairy moving forward to the next five, 10 years, what are your big picture items that you're focused on?
0: Um, Big picture items for us are caring for cows at the next level. I thought we were there, but we're not there yet, so doing that, which means reducing color rate um you know, of course, the better we care for them, the longer they'll last, but also the more that they'll produce and that seems to be what has always worked for us is to get a little bit more out of um each animal or the facility in general um it's always easier to uh get things paid for with more money so uh but also as you care for those animals better they return um you know to you at a faster rate so um that's uh that's one of our goals um you know forage and energy and That has all been another thing that I've really been um, focusing on uh, to try to make forage with less inputs and a higher quality forage to feed our cows with less inputs on that diet as well. So trying to tighten up that whole picture using uh, soil instead of dirt to grow plants at a healthier level. Um, All those are things that we're working on as well as a goal. And real quick question there. So when you say energy,
2: are you talking like nutrients for the cows or are you talking like fuel and electricity?
0: Really everything, but more nutrients for the cows. I'd say right now it's nutrients for the cows, but I'm also thinking whole farm energy as well. Um, But my mind space and time, right now we're focusing on the forage, and the energy that it takes to produce that milk and then also the energy that comes out the back end of the cow and trying to preserve that and even maybe even alter that a little bit to make that energy more usable for forage and create forage that's at a higher uh, value. Cool. Okay, so I want to dig into both those goals. Do you have in are there any others?
2: Like we talked about infrastructure a little bit. Any thoughts on yeah, reinvesting in the
0: infrastructure at all? Well, as far as infrastructure, we're still milking in a nineteen seventy-five parlor. Uh it's a double six parlor milking uh five hundred cows three times a day. Uh that isn't going to last forever. I'm very surprised that it is actually lasting as long as it is, and we're producing the high quality milk that we are out of it. So I've um, been very fortunate to have the labor to uh, make that facility run at uh, top level. Uh, but eventually we have to do something with that harvesting facility. And I think our next step would be um, automated milking robots at the barn. I think it goes hand in hand with that goal of caring for cows a little bit better, uh, letting them choose when and where they want to go, instead of moving everybody as a group, um, you know. So that's that's something down the road that uh, you know we are going to have to address if we're going to stay in the business is um, how we're going to harvest the milk out of the cows. Good. So that gives I think a pretty good view of where you're aiming the business.
2: I should ask maybe earlier. Can you give us some just ballpark numbers people throw around milk per cow per day? uh, sort of repro efficiency.
0: Yes. Uh, so our milk per count per day is about 95 pounds throughout the year. Um, we don't have huge swings in the summertime, fall, winter, we're, we calving cows very consistently. Um, we do things with management to minimize that heat stress, which then I think just kind of levels out our breeding program. And, uh, so we're we're right in that ninety-five plus or minus two, three pounds throughout the year. Um all Holstein cows, uh butter fat right around four, four one, uh protein three one. And um our quality of milk uh, as far as somatic Cell, uh we're right around uh sixty to seventy thousand is where we're at, and we continue to just kind of creep down and it uh it's an amazing Slide to better quality milk um, that isn't necessarily the on the forefront. It just has been. We keep doing the right steps along the way, but it's not a huge goal of ours. Is to have a lower somatic cell or higher quality milk. It's just caring for those animals in a facility setting, and it's returning um, with those standards. Uh, being met. So
2: that's pretty impressive, especially like you said with that that old of a parlor and the throughput you're getting. That's fantastic. Um, okay so let's dig into some of those goals. First of all, you mentioned trying to keep cows longer. So do you have a sense on your farm of the main drivers of cooling? What why is it the cows are leaving?
0: Yeah, like uh, when I enter NPC Dart, when a cow leaves the main thing of why they're leaving Is open. You know, they just just didn't get pregnant. And that's discouraging when it took two years to raise her. And in two or three years of milking her, I've got to now sell her. Um, She still had good udder, good feet and legs. We just missed that opportunity to get her pregnant. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, we've been average on throughout our course of time is our breeding program. When a lot of other steps along the way, we've been above average in the statistics. So, um, you know, that's something for the last couple of years I've been really trying to focus on is getting the repro better and getting to that elite level of say preg rate or whatever number you wanna look at, but getting cows pregnant better and uh choosing who leaves instead of her saying I leave because I'm open. So and then eventually making less heifers um because of it. And I think we've gotten a little bit relaxed on our cull rate because we're making too many heifers. And um That's been a struggle for us to make less heifers, and I've tried, but as you continue to get your preg rate higher, it's natural to make more heifers. So we've switched over um, reluctantly. I've been fighting it for a couple of years, and I probably should have just switched to only sexed semen, and then uh, black semen for, you know, beef semen for the... Um, rest of the herd, and I knew there was an opportunity to do this, but I wanted to make sure we were somehow making our proven older cows and, and and making a heifer out of those genetics. Instead of just taking, say, genomics from our young heifer herd and only making heifers out of them off of genomics, I think genomics are helpful but also that older cow that's proven herself. um, She also is something that I wanna reproduce. And with our breeding service that we use, it was hard to get them to know who is that elite cow um, because we're doing all of our um, management decisions off of a milk weight that we do once every two to three months. So we don't have that accurate milk data coming in. but we do as a you know management of our herd, you know the managers of our herd, between my herdsmen, even the melting technicians, myself, we know who those better cows are. Um, the breeding uh, companies they have their job and it's not to pick out our best cows when they're walking through the herd. They're here to see who's in heat so um, I wanted to start breeding our own cows a little bit more or at least having some input on who should get that sex semen. And uh, heat detection seemed to be our, you know, part of what wasn't getting us to that elite level was our heat detection. Um, You know, the cows were milking a lot. So it was always, are they right on the border of energy? Are they not showing good heats because of rough, you know, smooth or uh, slick concrete or, there was always something of an excuse of why we weren't catching our cows in heat well enough and finding those cows that may have been cystic a little too long missing opportunity to inseminate them right and uh um yeah uh we came across a technology that was offered to us and it was the tech bullus and that bullus I thought the biggest opportunity we might have was with, with with breeding. Before that, you were just doing just observations for heat detection, and you were you were not synchronizing much. Uh, we were tail painting. Uh, we were also synchronizing as well, but uh, you know, with that, we were still just getting average heat detection and missing out on some of those uh, services. Um, our uh weekly preg checks getting about fifty percent of those preg checks pregnant where the other fifty percent we were missing those heats, and average numbers, I think, but we could do better and um so that's where we uh looked at that bullus, and you know, I was skeptical at first. I'm like, man, we're doing pretty good. I don't know I don't know how we can do better. And uh, we walked through some of the economic numbers. if we were to get our call rate a little better, our repro a little better, our uh fresh call health a little bit better, that it would actually probably pay for the the fees of this bullus. And I was hoping that we would at least pay for it, if not excel. and this thing economically has been good, uh much better than I thought and then functionally is catching things way better than I ever thought it would. So it's been a really good technology that we've adapted. Let's, let's just talk about it a little bit for people that aren't familiar, first of
2: all, and then I wanna dig into those, those responses you're seeing. So it's a bolus. It's, an, it, it's something you put down the cow's mouth, right? So kind of what, what
0: type of size is it? When do you bolus the cows? So, for us in the dairy industry uh it's kind of like a Bovi-Calc pill if we know what that is a calcium pill it's about the same size as that uh it gets administered the same way as a aspirin or um a bova calc will there's a a balling gun stick it down their throat, and it's then uh put into the stomach and it stays there for life of the cow um it is a uh um uh, a pretty easy uh way to track an animal uh we've had AFI in the past where it's a leg band or other systems uses a collar um it it isn't something that's gonna get snagged or uh has to be taken off put back on um you just take your uh cell phone scan the q r code enter the cow's number and put it into her uh throat and that's a pretty Simple way to do it. You still have to be strong enough to not be whopped around by the cow's neck and head, but uh, I've been kicked in the chest by putting bands on heifers and that's not a safe place to be either, so. And
2: this is giving you, like, what, what is it sensing? What kind of data, what, what are the outputs
0: it's giving you? Yeah, it's sensing three different things. It senses rumination, It senses body temperature or rumen temperature or the stomach that it sits in temperature. And then also activity. And I would say probably the most important thing that it's sensing is that rumination. And it has a a upper and lower limit of rumination that's optimal. And as long as that rumination is in the window that it should be, we know that cow is healthy and happy, and any management that we do with that cow—say it's uh, give her a vaccine, um, move her to a new group, uh, dry her off—if she has a calf—that all affects rumination, and we are trying to make sure that rumination stays in the optimum level, and uh, with that, uh, everything else follows well be- you know. In, in- You know, it's just, we know she's good. So uh, it also tracks body temperature. Um, You can see when a cow drinks as well because the temperature will plummet and then come back up on the chart. And it will um, let us know even if a cow doesn't drink enough according to her normal schedule and give us alerts on low water intake. I had an example of a dry cow group where I had a couple low water intakes and I'm like, huh, I wonder if the plug came out of the drinker or something like that. And what it was, was the crossover gate did not get opened after scraping the night before and a couple stubborn cows that only will drink on one side. They didn't walk around and go to the backside or something like that. So as soon as I opened the gate, yeah, as soon as I opened the gate, those water, uh, Intake alerts went away. And you could see that she starts drinking again. We're finding animals with health issues days before we can see them. Um, We all think that we're really good at seeing a sick cow, but this sees it faster. And we can then correct the issue faster with less treatments and keep her in milk, keep her working, keep her healthy um easier and sometimes our eyes don't see things as fast as we think they should and it, it may be too late already for those cows we can't correct the issue and then we end up losing that animal and uh this is just keeping those animals in the herd longer um from fresh cow issues to dry cow issues to mid lactation issues um and the reproduction uh, end of it has just helped us to get to that next uh, level where we should, should have always been. That's great. So how long
2: have you had this in place now? When did you implement the Smack tech? SMAC tech was
0: the third week in March, I believe, of 23. And- um, About six months, roughly. Yeah, about six months. Uh, we put, um, Started out about seventy to seventy five percent of the animals got bullassed. And uh our criteria for bullishing uh and I say animals, but I should say adult animals, the milking herd. Um we held back on a few just to make sure there were gonna be a verified pregnancy check and then we'd throw it in. Uh we would also hold back on some of those that we didn't think were going to stay in the herd for more than a year. If we're like, you know, you're going to be going out in the next six to nine months, I don't want to throw away the bullies. Um, The Bullis, you know, it's about a $40 investment for a bullus And then there is a fee per month subscription fee, I would say, cell phone bill um, for um, monitoring that through the company. Um, along with that, you get really good customer service. And uh, also, um, uh, you know, that that monitoring that comes right to your phone, right to a PC, whenever you need it.
2: And what so you you mentioned some of the benefits you're seeing, have you done any analysis tried to do a sort of before and after analysis of the true
0: impact? like quantitatively? Yeah, uh you know we can always see those things changing, good or bad as it's happening, uh but it's really nice to look back at numbers um you know we can immediately see uh, f- fresh cow transitioning better. We were having less ketosis because we were catching those things, even in the far off dry cow group that were causing fresh cow issues, and <laughs> I was one. That was talking to the salesman for the co- from the company, and I was like, I don't want to monitor dry cows. I don't want to pay that do- you know daily charge because it's just a dry cow. Like we just all we got to do is feed her. And I think monitoring those and catching those issues, those are probably our ten percent of fresh cow problems right there uh, that we don't we don't see until they actually freshen. Um, they're the subtle pneumonias, the uh, timid cows that don't wanna eat as much as they should. And we've taken to the to the point of a timid cow that isn't eating right. We will actually get her up when other cows are laying down um, because she doesn't like to eat say out of a headlock. She only likes to eat out of the man pass. But if you have two or three cows that like the man pass, and she's the least aggressive, that's the one that will transition the worst. And uh, we can actually watch that rumen function and activity um, on a real time level. Like we can see that drink happen hours later, we can see um, the activity, we can see rumination increasing. And it's encouraging to us as caretakers that if we're doing something, we can see results. Or if we try something and it doesn't work, we can try something different versus waiting two or three days and now the cow's even worse. And you're like, man, uh, I I wish I could see into you better. And now we can see into her better. So it's been really fun to watch. That's awesome.
2: And what about on the repro side? You mentioned that you 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 feel like you're starting to hit the targets that you were hoping you could. Yeah, we've what always been in,
0: our preg rates always been in that, uh, you know, 20, low 20s. And it's a manageable level where you can keep going. But I've heard people getting 30 and that seemed like a dream to me to be at 30% preg rate, like how in the world, how do we do this at a, you know, 95 pound herd average? Like, is this even doable? And then I hear of other, uh, you know, guys in the dairy industry achieving it. And I'm like, man, I want to be there, but how? Like, how do we get there? And um, just in this last six months, we've went up 9% preg rate and we're talking summer months as well. So even if we don't quite settle at this, you know, we're 29% right now is is kind of where we've averaged the last 6 months. Even if we don't settle there, I'm very satisfied of the improvement and I do think that we'll just stay there or get better and uh it's it's been a really cool thing to actually watch happen and you know I can feel it our weekly preg checks have went from 50 to 60 percent pregnant and if we're under 75 percent of those animals um you know pregnant it's concerning to me like what happened why because right now it's 75 80 percent week after week and we're not missing those 21 day heats like we used to um we're also not using as much uh of the uh setup shots to get these cows pregnant. Um and I don't know exactly what that number is, but I do all of the medicine ordering on a weekly bi-weekly basis, and I'm ordering less GNRH. I'm ordering less Lutilase, so I know that it's working and um that we're just catching more natural heats off of this system. Uh, We're even uh, checking some of these cows that aren't showing a natural heat within 50 days of milk and tailoring a um, setup system for those animals using ultrasound.
2: It sounds like you are seeing maybe a mixed effect of better transition health plus
0: better estrus detection. Is that what you would attribute this to? I almost think it's also better reproductive health because that animal is never really going backwards during that calving or dry off period of time. So all of her um, eggs that maybe are are being jeopardized as a sick fresh cow, they're there and they're ready to be fertile by that 60 to 70 days in milk and they're conceiving. So I think it's uh, keeping that cow healthy the whole way through, not going into a major uh, negative energy balance. And that's um, just making that, that animal more fertile when it's time to breed her again, and then ultimately keeping her in the herd longer. Another number that I'd like to share, and you know, our preg rate's been good, but also animals that have left the farm um, zero to 150, uh, year over year, so we looked at a four-month stretch from 22, uh, would have been like June um, uh, in 22, and then June in 23, and we looked at that four-month stretch. Uh, we're down 50% in animals that have left the farm, zero to 150 days of melt, so half of the animals. That's a big number. And then if we can then couple on the back end side of animals staying on the farm because of less reproductive calls are being open. Um, I think it's a big number uh you know we were we were putting a lot of animals through the facility, and I think we can i think we can cut that number in half of what we were getting rid of every year uh with this management that we're doing now um with having a better eye on each cow uh that we have some of them the hardest challenges we have now are the cows that don't have bulluses like that's, uh, my herdsman is coming to me all the time. Like, yep, I didn't see that until now she doesn't have a bolus and, you know, they're all, there are troubled cows anyway, but he's like, man, I, I think I could have saw this two days ago and, you know, now I'm trying to fix her, uh, and I'm behind the I'm like, yeah, good buy-in then from your, employee. oh, That's- my employees, uh, they're the key to making this system work. Um, They're using it and asking questions with the customer service team, Um, you know, even maybe even challenging them on, hey, can we do this with it? Can we do that with it? It does a daily water intake, and um, I think that's somewhat tied to milk production. So I'm even kind of talking with them about, hey, can we get uh, estimated milk yield? or a rating on this animal compared to others in the herd just off of her water intake. And uh, just to help us manage things better. Oh, that's a great idea. And uh, do you have a target
2: turnover rate that you're aiming for now? Like in terms of big picture, long-term in your herd?
0: Yeah, big picture uh, I'm looking to have uh, instead of where we've usually ran is one heifer for one cow. I'd like to get down to a half a heifer per cow so for our, our herd running in that 250 to 275 heifers and that you know that's a huge expense for a dairy is heifer raising and if i can um only keep those heifers that i need we can keep a, you know we can take care of that heifer better from calfhood up to adult and focus on really growing her at the uh, best level that we can not be overcrowded Um, but also it just doesn't take as much money in our operation to raise all these heifers um, that we really don't need. We just had the excess so we were burning through cows faster than what we should have. That's an exciting process. So I want to talk just real quick about
2: um, we could spend another easily half hour talking about your forage program so I think you're doing some really innovative stuff there you kind of alluded to soil health as being one of your driving uh, inputs there. Um, real real briefly, what are you doing that's sort of, I guess, outside of the norm of a corn silage, alfalfa, haylage-based
0: uh, forage program? Yeah, so um, we've always fed alfalfa and corn silage. Um, probably in the diet, looking at uh, say 20% forage was alfalfa. Um, you know, 75, 80% corn silage. And about three years ago, started adding in some alternative forage, uh, started raising triticale, um, made that into lactating cow feed. And the cows told me that was the right move. Uh, It's a very attractive forage for a dairy cow, especially in the summer. Uh, They run to the feed bunk and they don't stop eating all summer long. So, and then if you just feel that uh, material, it's very soft and digestible. So then it gets me on the uh, the path of trying to grow two crops in the same year. So growing triticale and then going back into corn for corn silage. And there's some challenges that go along with that. Um, it's harder to grow corn after triticale is harvested. So I start looking into soil health a little bit more, um, biology for the soil a little bit more, Uh, also trying to do less tillage on the soil um, because of the root mass that's there. And if done properly, we could still grow a good crop after triticale. Um, And of course I do what the cows are telling me is to keep growing triticale. And uh, through all of that, I want to keep doing more digestible alternative forages like Italian ryegrass. Um, actually, growing cocktail mixes right now of Italian ryegrass, clover, hairy vetch, all in the same field. And with that, those are more digestible fibers where I can then reduce my purchase feed cost and put the manure that's coming out the back end of the cow immediately on a field of. Uh, forage, getting the nutrients extracted as fast as possible and put back into uh, healthy forage. And um, I've ran across a a good group of guys for resources on reduced tillage, um, added biology to both our seeds and soil to increase the functionality of that and get that back into a more natural state and not have to use so much fertilizer and uh, also adding biology to our manure and making that a more usable fertilizer for our uh, soil and cropping system. Um, It's basically digesting the fiber that the cow did not and turning it into a more usable fertilizer. And there's a lot of benefits that that's showing right now with easier uh, handling of manure, less sludge in the bottom of the pit. Um, Also it's a uh, less offensive odor um, emission off of that manure. Uh, so it doesn't stink as much. And that that's good for our uh, image in the community, but also I think good for our pocketbook because we're capturing more of that nitrogen and saving it and letting it go into the soil system instead of up in the air, and uh, which is also good for our planet. All right, well, I'd love to dig into that more, but we're kind of running
2: out of time. There's a few questions I'd like to throw out there, kind of bigger picture. Um, You're on your soapbox now. What's one thing most people don't understand
0: about operating a dairy that you wish you could communicate to them? Uh, A dairy is a very complex system. You have to be knowledgeable in a lot of different areas especially when you're the size that we are. Um, it seems like I'm always learning something new that I didn't know before and having to learn something new and be good at, uh, or asking for help from others to uh, to assist in that area. And that um, it's also a economically challenging business like there is a lot of money that comes in and out of this business that uh, you, you have to really watch and know where to spend money and, and where it can return the best dollar. I think people
2: are typically shocked at the cash flow through a dairy when they hear the number uh, <laughs> compared to your local grocery store or something. It's, it's a big business.
1: It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Adiseo USA. Producers of SmartamimeM and MilkPay.com. Bergen Schmidt. Your partner for improving animal performance. Diamond V. Because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista. Feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. Ataseo, a global leader in nutritional solutions and the provider of Smartamine Hen, the best-in-class rumen-protected methionine product for dairy producers who want to optimize milk production, capture more value from their components, and maintain their lifetime performance of their herds. For more product information and to calculate your return on investment when you balance your feed with amino acids, go to milkpay.com. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg & Schmidt, They provide high quality, economical feed ingredients for ruminants, like their well researched coated nutrients and fat powders that can support cows with additional available energy, which improves their overall health, productive performance, and your cost efficiency.
2: So, we have our three famous questions we throw at everybody. First of all, do you have a favorite dairy related book or resource
0: that you turn to? Uh, Dairy related, um, of course, the. Um, dairy herd management, I like seeing articles that come through there. Uh, and, um, really, you know, I'm starting to get older now. So I have the before internet and after the internet has been amazing to be able to continue to learn and research and read, and then the mobile internet where we can have it on a phone and listen to videos as we're still working, or listen to previously, uh, you know, previous seminars and stuff like that. Those are the the areas that I am using a lot right now in this uh, part of uh, my journey. That's cool. What about your favorite book or resource outside of ag? Uh,
2: book? Bible. And? Last but not least, in your opinion, what sets
0: successful dairy professionals apart from those that are less successful? Uh, Being willing to listen, to admit that you don't know everything, uh, being able to share what you know with others. And also in that sharing, I think also we learn as we share as well. So sometimes it's just listening to what we share and we learn about ourselves, too. It's true, isn't it? (laughs) Well, Nathan, uh, thank you so much for your time
2: today. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed it very much. So Nathan Brerley from Brerley Farms of Portland, Michigan, uh, has been our guest today. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Again, this is Barry Bradford, Michigan State University. And I'm just going to ask you, if you haven't uh, signed up for uh, a subscribe to this podcast, don't forget to hit that button so you don't miss the next episode. Until next time, we'll see you then.